0: Well, a big thank you to our elders and to all of you uh, for that um, wonderful, gracious thank you uh, this morning to Leanne and I. We are so grateful to still be here, uh, to, to be with you, uh, to share in ministry together and to share in life together along with you. We're grateful for uh, the Lord's kind providence in all of that. It doesn't always work out that way for churches or for pastors and their families, But in our case, it has, and God has been very good and gracious to us all along the way. Uh, I I couldn't have done it without uh, wonderful partners in ministry, Pastor Rob, of course, uh, and uh, Pastor John, and we look forward to Micah coming then in January, and uh, grateful for the team the Lord has put together, including our elders, who are uh, faithful to Pray and encourage and support and guide and instruct all along the way. Uh, I am so grateful for my wife uh, who has stood by my side all along the way. Uh, You got an okay pastor, but you got an awesome pastor's wife. So, yeah. And uh, I love you, Leanne. And uh, grateful for our kids who love this church uh, not every pastor's kid grows up in an environment as loving and kind as this one. So thank you. I feel it. <clears throat> Take your Bibles, turn along with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This morning we're going to see God's plan for marriage. God's design for marriage has been under assault lately. In 2015, the Obergefell decision handed down by the Supreme Court of this country made same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states, doing great violence to the traditional understanding of marriage that had almost universally been understood as the union of one man and one woman for life. But if we're honest and we take a broader look, we know that marriage has been under attack for far longer than the last decade or so. In fact, Satan has been undermining and attacking marriage since the very beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Since marriage is the most fundamental human relationship and the building block of every society, it makes sense that the enemy would focus much of his destructive efforts there. But despite the enemy's opposition, God's plan for marriage is still abundantly clear. And as Christians, we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility to know what God's plan for marriage is and to seek to affirm and carry out that plan in our own lives. This is just what Paul was getting at in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. Look with me there briefly. Colossians 2, 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in Him. Well, we received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, and now we must walk in faith under His Lordship, bringing every area of our life and every sphere of our lives under His authority. Jesus is Lord, and His Lordship has implications for how we live and how we live with one another. We've seen this in chapter 3 already. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 17, Paul has been explaining how the lordship of Jesus Christ should show itself and manifest itself in the life of the church with our attitudes and our actions. We've been spiritually united with Christ and therefore we've been spiritually united to each other. And this spiritual unity should show itself in our Christ-like attitudes and our Christ-like actions with one another within the church. These attitudes and actions help to make a healthy church. And now, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul transitions from the lordship of Christ in the sphere of the church to the lordship of Christ in the sphere of the home. And in verses 18 and 19, he focuses our attention on marriage. In two very short verses, Paul shares with us here God's plan for marriage. It goes without saying that these two verses, though short, are filled with controversy in our society. In so many ways, the Bible's teaching on marriage here cuts against the grain of our culture. All the culture's energies and efforts are set, it would seem, at undermining God's plan for marriage and the home. The Bible's teaching on marriage is clear. And the enemy knows it. And his task is to undermine that, to cloud it, to obscure it, to alter it, and ultimately to destroy it. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But thankfully, Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. As that is true generally for the Christian ideal, it is also true for the Christian ideal within marriage. Sadly, this has often been the case for Christians as well. God's plan for marriage has often been found difficult and left untried. But what blessing awaits those who by faith have received Christ Jesus the Lord and so now seek to walk by faith in Him, submitting every area of their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, including the home. So let me read for us from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Let me go back to verse 17. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. Again this morning, we are confronted with the truth of it and how it really opposes so much that's going on around us. And yet, if we're honest again, we find our own hearts opposing this so often. Wanting our own way, thinking we know better, believing we have a better path than the one that you've outlined for us. So once again, Lord, we confess our sin to you and we ask for forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, that you would help to conform our lives to your truth, to transform our thinking and our living according to your word. Lord, help us and grow us in this, that we might submit all areas of our life to your Lordship. We thank you for being our Savior and Lord It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it's pretty simple. Two verses, two commands. This morning we're going to see two key components of God's plan for marriage. Two key components of God's plan for marriage. God's plan for wives and God's plan for husbands. Now, you can imagine that these two key components do not contain all that the Bible has to say about God's plan for marriage. There are only two very short verses, after all. One verse addressed to wives, one addressed to husbands. And yet these two components are so critical and crucial to God's plan for marriage that if either of them are missing, then marriage will suffer and not be all that God intends for it to be. But when these two are operating together, synchronized and in harmony, God's plan of blessing is fully experienced and the family, the church, and society benefits greatly. So let's look first of all. God's plan for marriage includes a wife who submits to her husband. A wife who submits to her husband. Look at verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now some of you may already be thinking, why did Paul start with the wives? Why you got to be picking on the wives like that first? (laughs) Why not start with the husbands? They're the leaders, right? Supposedly. Well, Paul is following the same pattern for all three categories of relationship that he addresses here. He first addresses those who are called upon to submit, and that would be wives, and then later on he addresses children, and later on he ad- addresses slaves, and then he follows that by addressing those who are in the position of authority, husbands first, and then parents, and then masters. So wives are mentioned here first, and they're called on here to be subject to their husbands. Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls upon wives to do something that really is not natural for any of us. In many situations of life, it's difficult for us at times to submit to those who are in authority over us. Whether it's in the home or at church or at school or at work or in the community or to government officials, it's easy to submit when we agree with those who are in authority over us. But it becomes really hard when we disagree with them. Or we just don't like what's being asked of us. We bristle under that kind of authority. When we're asked to do something, we don't agree with. Submission is a difficult calling. But submission is the calling of every Christian. Every Christian is commanded to submit to someone. Children are to submit to their parents. Employees are to submit to their employers. Church members are called to submit to their elders. Christian citizens are called to submit to their governing authorities. And of course, all of us as Christians are called to submit to our Lord, Jesus Christ. So here in verse 18, Paul calls upon wives to submit. The New American Standard Bible reads, Be subject to which is a good translation of the word there but perhaps not as helpful as using the word submit either way our culture's not going to like it whether it's be subject to or submit to it's not going to be popular the greek word used here is hupotasso which is a compound word which means to place under it is to arrange oneself under another person 's authority voluntarily, the same word is used in three other places in the New Testament when describing the wife 's relationship in the marriage to her husband in terms of authority structure it 's used in ephesians five twenty one it 's used in titus two five it 's used in 1 peter three one through six so this isn 't some isolated teaching that might possibly be misunderstood. Or mistranslated, it is the consistent and repeated teaching of the apostles in the New Testament who were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us on what marriage is to look like. Now at this point, the temptation is to let this sermon die the death of a thousand caveats. And it's a testament to our culture and to our sinful natures, that this message concerning the wife's submission seems so offensive to us and out of touch with our modern progressive sensibilities. Because this is so important and because there is so much confusion and misunderstanding with regard to this issue of submission, I want to take a bit of time this morning to share what submission is not, first of all, and then a few words on what submission actually is. So first of all, let me share what biblical, the biblical teaching on submission does not mean. Does not mean. So first of all, submission does not imply inferiority. Submission does not imply inferiority, whether mentally or spiritually or socially or whatever. Mentally, women are just as smart as men. Thank you. I heard that. (laughs) And one could argue even smarter. That was for you. And they're certainly oftentimes more perceptive than men. How many men can find the mayonnaise in the refrigerator? (laughs) This is not about inferiority. Certainly not spiritually. Women stand shoulder to shoulder with men in terms of their spiritual position in Jesus Christ and the blessings that have come to them as a result. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul there is speaking of our spiritual position equality before God that we all come to God on the basis of Jesus Christ and God's blessings come to us and flow to us through faith in Jesus Christ and we all share an equality in Jesus Christ But to say that this fundamental spiritual equality therefore obliterates all role distinctions within the home or within the church is to ignore the clear teaching of Scripture regarding the abiding reality of authority relationships of parents to children, of husbands to wives, and of elders to church members. So submission does not imply inferiority. That's not what it's about. Secondly, submission does not mean that you're to submit to every man. Hear that? Paul makes it very clear here and elsewhere that submission of the wife is to her own husband. Not to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Certainly there'll be other areas of submission in a woman's life. Again, government authorities, church Authorities, perhaps work authorities, but she's not called to a life of submission to the male gender as a whole. That's not the Bible's teaching. Man, you do not exercise authority over every woman. Get over yourself. So, submission does not mean that you're to submit to every man. Thirdly, submission does not imply that your husband is perfect. You knew that, though. Paul does not issue a a conditional submission here. Submit as long as he is saved. Submit as long as he's a Christian. Submit as as long as he's an exemplary Christian. That's not what Paul says. Paul knows full well what he's calling these wives in this setting to. To submit to fallen, imperfect husbands who in some cases were not even saved. Even Jesus submitted himself to his fallible parents. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. So it's not predicated on the perfection of a... Of a husband. Fourthly, submission does not involve you losing your personality or your personhood. The biblical call of the wife to submission is not a call for the wife to bury her personality, to abandon any personal interests and pursuits, to stuff her feelings, to stop thinking, and to relinquish all personal opinions. That is not submission. Far from it. That's tyranny. Your personality can be expressed in and through your submission. Your personality does not need to be eradicated. It simply needs to be guided and directed within God's plan for marriage. Fifthly, submission does not involve total, absolute obedience. unquestioning, unflinching obedience. That is not submission. There's room for expressing dissent, for expressing your opinion, for giving counsel and advice, for making a biblical appeal. There's even room within the biblical concept of submission for disobeying what your husband says. If he tells you to sin, you better disobey. Don't submit to that. If he chides you for confronting him in his sin, tells you to stop, you can't obey that. It's an improper use of his authority. In these cases, as in all cases, where human authorities overstep their bounds, we must obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. So submission to your husband never negates anything else the Bible clearly teaches. Well, so that's some of what submission is not. So what does then submission really involve? Biblical submission. Well, the wife's role of submission is a divine calling, first of all. It's a divine calling. This is not simply a convention of society. This is not some scheme cooked up by chauvinistic men who want to keep women in their place, under their thumb, and retain power. It is, rather, the revealed plan of an all-wise, all-loving God. And if we're going to live under God's authority, if we're going to live under Christ's lordship, we have to acknowledge that. This is God's plan for attaining and maintaining the efficient functioning and order in the home. And it is God's plan for human flourishing. So submission is a divine calling. Secondly, submission involves willfully placing yourself under your husband's leadership. Man, I want you to notice there that this is a willful placing that the wife does. You don't willfully place her. The husband has never issued the order to call his wife to submission. God calls the wife to submission. She willfully places herself under Christ's lordship and under the husband's headship within the marriage. Willfully. It is a matter of volition. But also done with the right heart attitude with the right spirit which includes respecting your husband Ephesians 5:24 submission involves willfully placing yourself under your husband's leadership it means following your husband's lead generally speaking boil it down it means follow your husband's lead you might want to go in a different direction you may think you have a better idea a better way to handle a situation Now, of course, you can express that idea in the right way, and you should express your ideas and concerns to your husband. And your husband would be wise to carefully listen to and give serious consideration and weight to your words. We're going to get to his role here in just a minute. That's going to inform his response to your concerns and your objections and your ideas. But at the end of the day, submission necessarily involves following your husband's lead. It means voluntarily placing your life under his direction, care, and guidance. It is ordering yourself under his leadership. And the next submission involves helping your husband fulfill his roles including leading in the home. This was to be Eve's tasks. task. She was to be a helper. She was created, suitable, corresponding to, different from, but corresponding to in a way that would complete Adam, in a way that would make him a functioning whole, as it were. There were things that Adam was good at, and there were things that he was not strong at. Eve was made to come alongside and shore up some of those weaknesses. The wife is to seek to help her husband be the most effective man of God that he can possibly be. With the children, at church, at work, in the community, etc., And you may be saying already this morning, Lance, I'm really struggling with this. (laughs) This is tough. If I had any other husband but the one I got, I might be able to do this. (laughs) Is there anything you can share that might help me? Well, I think what Paul shares at the end of verse 18 is very helpful. He says that this submission of wives to their husbands is fitting in the Lord. It's fitting. Listen, when you're submitting to your husband, you are submitting to the Lord's will and purposes for your life. It's part of the fulfillment of verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're struggling to submit to your husband... Understand that in doing so, you're actually submitting to the Lord Jesus and honoring and glorifying Him with your life and with your marriage. It's hard. It's difficult. But the Lord gives grace. He honors obedience. And this is the path toward blessing and flourishing. As a person, as a Christian, and ultimately in your marriage and in society. Well, let's move on. And all the ladies said? Secondly, God's plan for marriage includes a husband who loves his wife. And all the ladies said? Amen. Amen. Verse 19, husbands, as for you, Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Husbands are called upon to love their wives and to not be embittered against them. So wives are called to willingly order themselves under their husband's authority in the home to follow their husbands. And in turn, husbands are called upon to love and therefore to lovingly lead their wives. Paul uses that very well-known word agape for love here, which is, of course, that self-sacrificial love that God showed toward us, and the love that Jesus demonstrated so clearly in denying himself for the sake of the church This is a love that, in addition to sacrificing self, also cherishes and treasures the one who is loved. Agape love that seeks the absolute best for the one loved. And it seeks their absolute best at great personal expense. It is a selfless love. It is a love that issues forth from the will and not from the emotions. It is not a mere sentimental love, but it is a volitional love. It is not a selfish, self-centered kind of love that acts only in order to receive personal benefit. It is rather a love of choice, a daily determination to put the good of the other person ahead of our own self-interests. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul shares that this kind of love is active and it shows itself in how we treat others. It's not merely a love of sentiment and emotion, it is a love of action. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Brothers, we've got to take our love to the woodshed of 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love we're called to. As Christians, this kind of love should show itself in all of our relationships, but it should be especially demonstrated by Christian husbands toward their wives. And yet, how far short we fall from this ideal. Notice too that Paul says that in loving our wives properly here in verse 19, that in loving our wives properly, we're not to be embittered against them. The word embittered is often used in extra-biblical Greek literature in association with harsh and domineering, tyrannical leadership. It's like an embittered Civic leader who is frustrated with the citizenry and takes it out on them. It's not uncommon for men to develop a resentment of their wives, to refer to them as the old ball and chain. To foolishly view marriage cynically as an end to all real freedom and true happiness as a man. Foolishness. And then to go home and show this bitterness and resentment in the way they treat their wife. I think the note that is included in the English Standard Version Study Bible is helpful here. It says there was a tendency in the Roman world for men to rage bitterly against their wives and mistreat them. This was an accepted practice. Because of their greater strength and louder voices, men in their sinful natures are prone to use harsh words, threats, unkindness, and even physical violence to intimidate their wives. There is no room for even a hint of this in a Christian home. Amen, indeed. No room for even a hint of any of this in a Christian home. Men, you're called to love your wife, to cherish her and treasure her, to sacrifice for her, to put her needs ahead of your own, her will ahead of your own. Now, how does that change the whole issue of the wife submitting to the husband? You see God's wisdom here? Paul very helpfully and convictingly gives us the ultimate example of what our love for our wife should look like in the parallel passage in Ephesians 5.25. You recall that Ephesians and Colossians were written right around the same time under the same set of circumstances for the Apostle Paul. They mirror each other in many ways. They're like cousins. They, They could be Brothers, they they have consistently the same message said slightly differently in each letter as one would expect. But in, in the parallel passage in Ephesians 5:25, Paul says it this way: Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the standard. That's the example. That's what we're shooting for, men. That's the target. To love our wives just as, to the same degree as, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, loving your wife this way means that there will be many times when you will have to set aside your own desires in order to fulfill your wife's desires. You may end up making a different decision than you would have otherwise based upon your wife's concerns, where your wife is at, your wife's desires, You may want to go out with the guys on a Friday night or play a round of golf on a Saturday or go hunting for a week. But that may not be the best way to love your wife. Love starts with asking, what does she need from me? Not what do I need, much less what do I need from her? It means that we as husbands are willing to do the most menial task within the home. No job is too low for us. No job is beneath us. For love serves. Love gives. Love sacrifices. Whether it's changing diapers or scrubbing toilets or cooking dinner or cleaning up vomit. Somebody's got to do it. Why not the husband? There will be many times when seeking what is good for your wife will involve you rolling up your sleeves and going to work domestically. Serving her. Loving her. It's going to mean that you're going to try to seek her good in every area. Emotionally. Financially. Socially spiritually, relationally, and so on. And you will seek this good for her, even if it comes at great personal cost. What am I saying? I'm saying, guys, if you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then it is necessarily going to involve you dying to yourself. self Sacrifice. Selflessness. It's going to involve service. In this verse, I want you to notice this. God does not call us as husbands to lead, but to love. Right? It's right there. Having called wives to submit, we might expect Paul to call husbands to then lead. That would be the the more corresponding command, wouldn't it, logically? But instead, he calls us not to lead, but to love. And isn't that the perfect wisdom of God? Men, we can be sure that when we are loving right, we will be leading right. The key to your leadership is not more self-confidence, It's not ensuring that you get your way. The key to leadership is love. It's true everywhere and it's especially true in the home, in the marriage. How much easier it would be for our wives to submit to our leadership if our leadership was driven by a consistent pattern of committed, self-sacrificing love for our wife. A love patterned closely after the supreme example of Christ himself and his love for the church. Beloved, this is marriage God's way. It's not all that the Bible has to say about marriage, but I think it's got to be right up there at the top of, in terms of importance. God's plan for marriage is best for us. And we have to live by faith, believing that what God has for us is better by far than what the culture, than what the enemy, than what anyone else seems to be saying. It's believing it by faith, trusting and putting it into practice. And saying, God, with your help, I want to follow your plan for my life. So for the sake of our families, for the sake of the church, for the sake of society, may God help us build our marriages according to God's plan, with wives who willingly follow their husbands' lead, and with husbands who sacrificially love their wives, even as Christ loved the church. May the Lord help us to make it so. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. You're the perfect example both of submission and love. Submission to your father's will, even as you pled with the father, you asked if it be possible let this cup be passed from me and yet you said in submission to your father yet not my will be done but your will be done and of course you're the supreme example of love love for your father love for the church demonstrating that love in your willingness to lay down your own life for our good. Thank you for such saving love, serving love, sacrificing love. Lord, produce these things in our hearts as we yield ourselves to the Spirit's control, as we seek to be obedient to your word, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conformed to the culture around us. Help us to be different. For your glory, the good of our families, the good of our church, and the good of our world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.